0: Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Hello, and welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. hope you guys are all well this morning. Today we're going to talk about revival, and I'm going to give you a few things to think through as you're processing what's going on in Asbury and these different uh, colleges and seminaries around the country. And I know many of you have questions about that, and so have I, so I've been trying to reflect on that and think about that, and also be expectant for God to move. And uh, if God is, in fact, moving, then there's going to be some markers here that we can know whether or not this is true or whether this is false, or whether it's partly true or partly false. And uh, really, today, this is more information Asbury aside, and even from people who've experienced uh, being there or gone there and come back with whatever their experience is, these things are going to be true from Asbury to anywhere and down through the history of revival as well as we think about these concepts and principles that I'm going to lay out for you. It's going to help you give you the tools to think through uh, properly what is revival biblically and then what you should expect if revival really is happening. Let's go ahead and pray and ask for the Lord's help because uh, we always need it. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time. I ask for blessing upon this, uh, these next few minutes, and I pray that you'd help me be clear and uh, concise and helpful as I'm working through some of these things to help people be equipped and pastors be equipped as they're asking uh, questions and also trying to answer the questions of their people. And so I trust you're going to bring wisdom and guidance. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. First, we just got back from our hog hunt down in Texas. Had a great time, loving guys, mostly from our church. And it was just an absolute blast. I put a video up on Gab about it, if you want to check that out. And we ended up getting seven pigs. It's just incredible. We've got them at the processor right now. I do anyways, the meat that I brought back. And I'm real excited about getting that back in the freezer. Getting a lot of sausage, breakfast sausage made, a couple hams, and whatever else the processor's going to do. It's an Amish dude down down in Vienna, So I'm excited about that. And it's just a great trip with buddies. You know, it, it God has blessed our church and me with good friends in this particular time of life. And pastor, if you don't have friends or buddies, I just want to encourage you to find them. Go out and get them. And if you don't have them in your church, you got to find friends somewhere. But but your church is the best place for it. I mean, you can be friends with the people in your church. The men in your church are, are just a great resource of, of guys that really love you and care about you. And, and uh, there's opportunity there to do a lot of fun things if you'll you know push for that or even just have other guys, you know, this was a a trip that was started, and and it was uh, a guy in our church that just said, hey, we should go down, we did, me and my brother did this last year, we should go down to Texas and get this done, and we'll have a great time, and we did it, and it was fun. There really is no reason for pastors to be lonely. You can have friends. Have friends, have a good time. Okay, so it was a great time. Check that video out if you'd like on Gab. Just a reminder, the intensive is coming up May 11th through the 13th. The sponsor of the month is the intensive, so check that out. If you, uh, if you want to. Okay, revival. Like I said, apart from the Asbury Seminary Revival, and I'm going to trust and try to think the best I can possibly think about that, and just say that I believe that God is probably doing some things there, and people's lives are hopefully being changed and transformed. Uh, alongside of that, there's probably some things that are not good and not honoring of the Lord. That's how it is always when it comes to these kinds of things. But I'm going to walk through 11 things, and I put this on the internet last night and posted on Instagram, but I want to walk through this, kind of what I'm thinking through here. And I think with these principles, you'll be able to take those and apply those to any sort of work of God that people are calling a revival or some sort of unique thing. And then if these things are there, it's just a grid by which you can see, okay, is this uh, a thing of the Lord or is it not? And is it something that uh, we should, you know, be experiencing or doing or praying for or not? And uh, so anyways, I think it'll just be helpful. Here we go. Number one, in Ezra, and Nehemiah, in the book of Acts, we could add Second Kings as well with Josiah's reforms. There was a high concentration of repentance after hearing God's law spoken. There is an example, these are examples, I think, of what people now call revival. When we think about revival, we have to ask a few questions. And then go from there. Number one, um, we have to ask, what is the difference between a move of God, Old Testament, New Testament, pre-post-Pentecost? Because there's going to be some differences. We don't necessarily know all the details of how those differences work between what's happening in the Old Testament. When we look at Josiah's reforms in Second and Kings, when we look at the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, and then when we go to the book of Acts and these waves of the Spirit filling those who have already uh, been indwelt and empowered and baptized by the Spirit uh, from Acts 2 forward. So there, there's these waves of still continuing uh, moves of, of God. What do we call that? Or when there is in the book of Ephesians, uh, or excuse me, when the book of uh, uh, Ephesians is building off of the planting of uh, the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, the whole city is transformed. There's a high concentration of people being changed as they hear the law of God preached and the gospel of Christ preached. Their whole city and economy and everything is just transformed. What is that? So I think what we're talking about when somebody says the word revival is a concentrated work of of the Holy Spirit, the normative work of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to get to here in just a minute. But it, it is all at once in a particular place where people are hearing God's law, and they're broken or cut to the heart, and they are changed. This happens in Second Second Kings, Josiah, the child king is established as king. And then Hilkiah comes and discovers the law of God and reads the law of God and everybody is cut to the heart. They're like, oh my gosh, we've been sinning against God. They're in sackcloth and ashes and they heard the words of the king and Josiah himself tore his clothes. He was just repenting because he heard God's law. We see this in Ezra and Nehemiah, the same kind of thing, when God's people are being brought back out of exile and they're reestablishing Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple. They're cut to the heart, and they're convicted on mass scale. And then this happens in Nehemiah as well. And Nehemiah comes and says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. Take off your, your, stop mourning, joy, celebrate. They celebrate for a week or two. And then after that, then there's this this repentance again. Then in the book of Acts, you have 3,000 people who are cut to the heart, and they come to christ the holy spirit descends upon them and then from uh, chapter 5 chapter 8 chapter 19 you have these these several fillings that come where the holy spirit is moving in a powerful way and the word of god continues to increase and there's more and more people that become christians there is this there's these waves of repentance that we could call revival and i think that's when we're talking about that today so we look at the history of revivals i think that's what we're talking about we're talking about a, a concentration of the work of the holy spirit now a couple good books that will help you think through this kind of thing, would be Ian Murray's Revival and Revivalism, which is basically a historical analysis of the First and Second Great Awakening. And think, okay, First Great Awakening good, Second Great Awakening bad. Not doesn't mean that there wasn't some good things that happened in the Second Great Awakening, but the Second Great Awakening was really about a 30-year period all over, all over the country and all over the world, and it was a Finney-esque kind of revival, which was manufactured revival. Finney said very explicitly that you do not need a special work of the holy spirit that revival is basically it's a it's a mechanical thing if you do this this and this you will get this result and and then you can you can really just stir up revival by by a series of things that you do and the first great awakening with edwards and whitfield was totally the opposite of that it was preaching i'm talking hellfire and god radically saved people's life through conviction of the holy spirit when they heard god's law and so revival and revivalism phenomenal book Martin Lloyd-Jones has written a really good book. It's a a collection of sermons on revival. It's just called Revival, so I would highly recommend that as well. And years ago, before Ray Ortland went woke and weird, he wrote a book on revival as well. Those are really good resources to try to help you think through, historically, what are these things called revivals? Now, what I did is, uh, number two, this is 11 thoughts about revival. Number number one is, I, I think what we're talking about here is exemplified in the scriptures in a a few different places where there is this repentance and turning. Number two, revival is the normative but concentrated work of the Holy Spirit opening the eyes of rebellious or stagnant Christians and includes regenerating non-Christians. So this is my attempt of giving a different definition to revival. Revival is the normative. So it's what the, the Holy Spirit is doing. For instance, when you became a Christian or somebody you know becomes a Christian, what happens is there's conviction of sin and there is a, a turning away from that. So instead of a self-indulgent life, I'm going to live a self-denying life. And it's a turning to Christ. I've sinned against God, I've turned to Christ. That, what happens in a normative way on a broader scale to more people. So there's this it, there's conviction of the Spirit upon several people at the same time and a turning to Christ. And this is a reviving work then. So it's either uh, a regenerating work or it includes not, uh, this regeneration or it is a reviving work. So when we talk about reviving, it is several Rebellious Christians who are not living according to God's law, they don't care about what God's God says, and they're living in rebellion to God. So this is a the normative concentrated work opening the eyes of rebellious or stagnant Christians. So it's those who are living in a lukewarm way. So I, I did it in opposite order. I talked about regenerating first before I talked about reviving rebellious or stagnant Christians. But rebellious or stagnant Christians who are not obeying God's law, not obeying God's word, they're not obeying the Lord, but they're generally saying that they're Christians, and God awakens them or reawakens them. <clears throat> and turns them from their ways of, of living, again, according to their, their own ways, what they want to do, and turns them to obeying and honoring the Lord. And this includes regenerating non-Christians. So, at a high concentration of this, all at once. Okay, revival. Now, three, revival causes and requires the adoration of God's law and the gospel. Let me get a sip of coffee, just a second. Revival causes people to repent, uh, uh, causes... It causes and requires adoration of God's law and gospel. When the Holy Spirit is at work, people are cut to the heart. Okay, so revival is this work of the Holy Spirit coming down. This isn't the work of God's people getting going up. This is the Holy Spirit working in a concentrated manner, and it causes and requires. So, where the the law of a love or adoration of God's law and gospel is not there, the Holy Spirit is not at work. If it's only singing, and it's only uh, confessing of, of, of uh, vague sins or something like that but there is not this adoration of Christ then you, there's something off here but it ha- requires this adoration of God's law and gospel. so when the go- God's, when the, God's law is preached people are saying that's right they're not saying oh we don't need that we don't like that or that's not for today. God's law is preached people are cut and then the gospel of Christ is adored because we love this is this is my escape this is God's law. And then I'm trembling in front of it, and then this is God's gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection on behalf of sinners to the glory of God. Number four, revival causes people to repent of actual sins. For instance, if there was revival among theological liberals, they would be crying out repentance for affirming sexual sin, egalitarianism, and a low view of God's law. So, broadly speaking, Asbury College, for instance, or seminary, is a Methodist school. It's tied to the Methodist church. The Methodists are wildly liberal. I mean, they're just wildly liberal. They not all of them. Okay, they're the conservatives just broke from the United Methodists. There was just a split, so they're not really no. They're no longer united, and the liberals and conservatives split, and that's the right thing to do. That's the right thing to do. Uh, we we sectarianism is required, and separation is required when. You've got to be a separatist when institutions go left, left, left. And that's inevitably where institutions lean. And this is, I'm not just talking when you hear left, I'm not just talking politically here. I mean, you pastors, you know this. I'm thinking, you know, theological liberalism. So, in. In Asbury, they have been light on LGBT stuff. In fact, I've been hearing reports that there's some LGBT students and everything that are participating fully in this revival and thinking that this is going to be some sort of unifying thing on the campus where this is going to unify you know, and, and really bring into the forefront the, these kinds of students. So if there's real revival happening, what's going to happen is real sins are going to be repented of. So theological liberals, they're going to be repenting of God. I am sorry that we've allowed women to preach. We aren't going to do that anymore. I'm sorry. We've been pushing for women pastors. I'm sorry for being light on sexual sins. God, we have rebelled against your law and they will be cut to the heart. I mean, it's just, I can't believe we've been doing this and they'll be crying out for mercy. So that when, Revival happens in these areas, stagnant or sinful people. Th- again, a revival definition here, rebellious or stagnant Christians, there's going to be repentance of those specific things. Not just vague repentance, but it'll be repentance of things that won't get fanfare from the world because the world will be saying, Well, why do you need to repent of that? This won't be accepted. Real real revival won't be accepted by non-Christians because they're going to be repenting of actual sins that other people are loving. Okay, number five. When revival happens. Those who are living in unrepentant sin will either repent, run in fear, or hate it. This builds on the last point, what I was just saying. When real revival happens, those who want, who love their sin and don't want to repent of it, they're either going to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit and hate every second of it because they feel conviction, and they're going to run, or they're going to repent like crazy, or they're going to absolutely hate it and rail against it. For those that are living in unrepentant sin, there's no such thing as going to revival and enjoying it. <laughs> you hate it. Number six, when revival happens, those who are involved are going to be in awe of God's glory through the gospel of Jesus, and by the power of the Spirit, they're going to long to obey the commands of God. Th- this is why time is so critical when it comes to evaluating things like this. We don't just want to first be negative, but man, it's a whole lot easier to go to a conference than to obey God and, and go to a revival. It's a whole lot easier to do that than to obey God as a husband and a father. It's a whole lot easier to drive to an experiential thing like that than it is to be a good mom, to be a good wife. To, to work hard throughout the day it's a whole lot easier to go to those kinds of things and then than the everyday obedience and everyday obedience is the result of the work of the spirit in this concentra- in this consecrated manner or concentrated manner when the spirit is working when real revival happens people are going to be in awe of God's glory this is they're going to be all about God's glory you see the gospel of Jesus this is incredible it's not going to be about me it's not going to be about people it's not going to be about ecumenical love it's going to be about the glory of Jesus. And the power of the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, they're going to long to obey the commands of God. Results of this, and this is why time is so critical when we evaluate, is are these people, are the people that are revived, are they obeying the Lord? Are they they still stagnant? Or are they still disobedient? Are they still indulging the flesh? Are they still disobeying clear commands of God? Okay, then there's something profoundly wrong here. What should happen is those who have repented now have actually repented. They've turned and now they're walking and obeying the Lord. This isn't some kind of ethereal revival thing that just sticks with you everywhere you go, where it's like the super life that you now, this higher life that you now live. You still have to live everyday normal life with the Spirit of God within you. This is the life of a Christian. We have the indwelling Spirit. The Holy Spirit is indwelling us and empowering us to obey God in the nitty-gritty details of life. And if you're doing that, that's what revival is resulting in, is obedience in the nitty-gritty details of life. It's not an elevation into some sort of superior existence in our world today. So that's number six. Number seven, that means when revival happens, those involved will be deeply concerned about Christian unity around doctrinal precision. Because people are going to love to obey the commands of God, we want to know specifics. We want, we're going to want to be precise about our doctrine. When revival happens, doctrine or teaching is revered. It's not minimized. When revival is not happening is when doctrine is minimized and we don't care about what we just care about love, man. That is not revival because God's people are repenting of actual sins, turning and wanting to obey God. They care about doctrinal precision. And you and I know, Pastor, and everybody listening in, unity requires doctrinal precision. We unify around the word. We don't unify around something of just agreeing to disagree on everything to where, well, doctrine, teaching doesn't matter, therefore we can be unified. No, 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 no. We unify around the truth. We don't unify around diminishing the truth watering down the truth. And so often that's what ecumenicism does, is it just waters down everything and we just accept everybody's bland confession. Oh, you say you're a Christian? I say I'm a Christian. Okay, we're unified. That's not Christian unity. We unify around the truth of the scriptures. That's unity. So those who are involved in revival deeply care about doctrine and they care about doctrinal precision. In fact, they are better in their doctrine post-revival than they were before because now they're wanting to obey the Lord instead of dishonor the the Lord. They have a higher view of God's word because they want to hear their father speak. They have a higher view of God's word than they did before. So when revival happens, they're going to be concerned with Christian unity around doctrinal precision. Number eight, that means setting doctrine aside for the sake of unity around ecumenical love will be repudiated. Low views of doctrine will be repudiated on the other side of revival, So there is no such thing as real unity by setting doctrine aside. Sloppy ecumenicism is exactly that. It's sloppy. It's not precise. It's not what God calls us to. Number nine, we desperately need revival. We need that. We need a both and here. We need, remember my definition of revival here, revival is the normative but concentrated work of the Holy Spirit opening the eyes of rebellious or stagnant Christians. Don't we need that? We need the eyes of our hearts opened. This is the prayers of Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 and 3. He's praying for Christians, that God would do something in the life of actual Christians, opening the eyes of their heart. And we need Christians whose eyes are opened and awakened again to God's law. We need this stagnant Christian thing. to. They, we need, they need to be wake, woken up. And we need a lot of non-Christians to become Christians. That's what we desperately need. Number 10, inevitably unholy things and false doctrine will come alongside real revival. Just because there are unholy things that are parallel to a real work of God, because what the, the devil is an angel of, of, of light, he's going to come and twist and manipulate and turn, and humanism and uh, the elevation of self and the human gets involved in, there's some that are worshiping and glorifying God, there are others that are hijack, trying to hijack that and glorifying themselves and wanting attention to be on themselves. So inevitably, when revival, when a concentrated work of the Holy Spirit is happening, there are false works. The Satan and demons hate that kind of stuff, and there are people that hate that kind of stuff, and so they're going to try to manipulate and twist. This is this is exactly Finney. What what was happening in Second Great Awakening? With it was you know good things and evil things, and in fact, in the First Great Awakening, there were some things like that as well. So when God is doing a work. There's going to be people that try to mimic it, try to twist it, try to turn it, try to go and say, look, it, here's, it's just a formula. If we'll do this, if we'll pray, if we'll sing music. And by the way, a lot of these works you'll see are happening with young people and <clears throat> young people lack discernment. They do. Young people lack discernment. And so when you see a bunch of, a high concentration of younger people crying out and praying, like I said, it's easier to do that than to obey the Lord in the nitty-gritty details when you're at work on Tuesday. When you're just all day singing to the Lord in a chapel somewhere, you know, praise God for anything that God does real there. But okay, great, but uh, that's wonderful. Go to work today and be a good worker. Go study for an exam and, and do a really good job on your exam and stop wasting time with intramurals. (laughs) <laughs> that's So that's the fruit of that. That's the fruit of real revival is the students are now better students. They're getting better grades. They're honoring the Lord. They're becoming better workers, that that kind of thing. So number 11, we're commanded to test the spirits. This is what I liked about Samuel Say's ar- article is that he brings he's calling into question some things that are happening. He's just simply saying that, hey, we're commanded to test the spirits here. When I hear reports, revival's happening here or there, I don't immediately think positive or negative about it. Like, yeah, God may it be, but I'm not immediately just saying that, yeah, whatever people say, oh, they went and they, that means that because they went and they've got a video about it and they posted a video about it, oh this is real. Some of the stuff you can't tell is real from down the line, which brings me to my last point, number 12. Uh, I said 11 things. This is just adding it on the cuff here. We need wisdom in life when it comes to everything we experience in this world today. This is true of every single generation and era. We have so much information coming into our lives and so many things that are being hammered into our minds that as you know, pastors, you've got to model wisdom on not being a reactionary person to everything that happens in the news and the media. Don't take the bait. And in the same way, when it comes to Christian news coming our way, there's a revival happening here, here, there. Don't take the bait and just jumping in. Take a second pause, evaluate what's going on. You don't have to get sucked into every single next thing that comes. Walk with wisdom and you'll model that for your congregation. Obviously, we want uh, God to be honored. We want revival to come. Is this Asbury thing real or not? I don't know. I mean, there's probably some real things and probably some fake things happening at the same time. And I think these principles that I laid out would really be a good measurement of that. And here's the next, you know, finally, you don't have to live in some higher life. You can obey and honor the Lord today. You have the Spirit of God living within, inside of you and obey the Lord today. That is the fruit of revival is obedience. People enjoy loving God and obeying Him. And so if you're loving God and obeying Him, you're living on the backside of revival right now because you don't, in, in that sense, you are not the stagnant Christian. You, you're, you're walking in the ways of the Holy Spirit, obeying and living as if you're post-revival. So anyways, hope it's helpful. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. Please like, subscribe, share. If you've not left a rating or review on iTunes, please do this. If this is gonna be helpful to some people, pass it along. Please spread the word about the podcast. I want it to be as helpful to as many people as possible. And if this provides some principles or ways of thinking through this that are helpful, a helpful grid to be able to process this kind of stuff, then pass it along. If you wanna support the channel or show, you certainly can do that. You can support through GabPay. You can find those links in the Instagram link tree and you can just find it, figure it out. And uh, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.